Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone, welcome back to the History Hit World Wars podcast. I'm your host James Rogers and in this episode we're looking at the Blitz, but not the Blitz you might think of when you first hear that term and you think of the relentless bombing of London. Because in truth, there were many Blitz across the UK, so many cities and towns that were subject to heavy Luftwaffe bombardment from Belfast to Grimsby, from Birmingham to Hull. In fact, when I moved to Hull, in 2008 to study at university. There were still ominous gaps in the terrace houses and the shadows of bombardment were all around. There was even a rumour that the old National Theatre building down Beverly Road, which laid there charred and bombed out, was a lasting remnant and memorial of Luftwaffe bombing from the war. And actually, it turned out to be true. It still stands there today as the last civilian building bombed out during the Second World War. It's being renovated into a war memorial, I think. It makes sense, though. Nine out of ten buildings in the city were damaged or destroyed during the war. Yet, Hull was just one of many cities in the Midlands and the North that were subject to bombing. Another city that bore the brunt of Luftwaffe bombardment was Coventry. It arguably got an even more raw deal at the hands of the Luftwaffe, because on the 14th of November 1940, the Luftwaffe launched its most destructive bombing raid of the Second World War so far. It took bombing of the UK up to new never-before-seen levels of destructiveness. And in this raid, the manufacturing and medieval centres of the city were all but destroyed, if not severely damaged. To tell us more, Dan Snow was joined by historian and Coventry resident David McGorry, who takes us through this fateful night and explores the impact of these traumatic events on the city. It really was an infamous night of bombing, and David is the expert to take us through it. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Explain to me what Coventry was like in 1939-1940. Coventry was busy. It was an industrial city. Loads of factories building most of the cars. It was becoming one of the richer cities in the country, mainly through its industries and that. So you had this massive sort of industrial base in the city, mainly car factories and that, but lots of engineering works and places like that, like Alfred Herbert's and that, which, which was a world firm. It was a busy place, a lot of people. And there was a beautiful medieval city centre as well. Yeah, country was 
said that he was one of the best um, preserved medieval cities in Europe, basically. And when you actually look at some of the older pictures, there were the streets, it was absolutely chock-a-block full of timbered houses and that. But they started to make inroads into that in, from sort of 1930 onward, where, like in 1936, they knocked down Butcher Road, which was an absolutely beautiful medieval street going down the hillside. And they just knocked that down for easier access for the motor car into Broadgate because they'd already got plans before the war to um, rebuild. They took on Gibson back in the designer back in 1935-36. He was looking to, um, with the council, looking to change everything. They had plans to knock half the city down, basically, even before the war. Yeah, an important reminder that we can't blame the Luftwaffe for the reshaping and, and ruination of Britain's medieval architectural heritage. But was it an important place for the war effort, David? Oh, yeah, yeah, without doubt, because it was, it's like I say, because the actual um, the amount of industry in the city, it's like when the war broke out, they're, they're instantly changing everything into war production. They're producing bombers. The first, the Whitley bomber, of course, was was built in country at Armstrong Whitworth, just outside of Whitley and Baggington. That was the first major sort of workhorse of the RF from about 1936. And it was used in those sort of early periods of the war, but fell out of use by that time and was used later on, mainly for dropping uh, propaganda and parachutists and things like that down. But initially, of course, it was the RAF's main bomber. But of course, when that was superseded by Lancaster's, Manchester's and all sorts, and all those were built in country as well, and mosquitoes, there was thousands of mosquito bombers built by the standard and Stuff for Spitfires, parts, you know, firing mechanisms, wheels built by the Dunlop for bombers, uh, for Spitfires, firing mechanisms for Spitfires, military vehicles, anything, everything you think of, basically. And tell me about this week, 80 years ago. Do we know why the, the Germans singled out Coventry for this gigantic assault? What happened effectively was Hitler was giving a speech at the vehicle of the birthplace of the Nazi party, effectively, in Munich. And uh, the RAF actually bombed them. And Hitler had to be bundled off into, I don't know, into a cellar or sort of bunker or something to get out of the way. And, uh, of course, he was really annoyed about this. We know this because of the Nuremberg war trials, from what Goring said. And Hitler wanted retribution, effectively. And he suggested that they hit London. This is what Hitler wanted to hit London back. But Goring said... There's no point in hitting London. You hit London and you, it gets lost. It's such a big city. It gets lost. And it, Goering suggested that they hit Coventry because it's all within a, a tight centre. And you can, in that way, you can actually literally burn it out, create a firestorm and burn the city out. So it was actually Goering's idea. And that came out of the, uh, the war trials, basically. That's what he actually said. So we do know why they did it. They didn't do it purely because of industry and that. And it became a double whammy because they could hit industry. But only that night, they hit 35 factories, basically. But the actual um, directions for the attack says Coventry, all of the city is a target. Although they did single out an odd factory, all of the city by the German directive was the hit, was the target. Tell me about that raid that began on the 14th of November 1940. It started off, of course, in, in France and that. It was at Vannes with the Pathfinder Squadron. That was sent over first. thing was, that day as well, 
Vans and about 24 other German bases were bombed because they knew there was going to be an attack in England, but they didn't know exactly where it was. They thought it was going to be on London and it was go over as far as Gravesend and places. And they sent over, they started Operation Coldwater and hit at least 24 German bases and radar stations, including Vans, which is the Pathfinder Squadron's base. And uh, despite that, of course, it still went ahead. There's a sort of mix of numbers. Strangely, the Germans didn't seem to have um, keep a proper amount of numbers on this, which is usually they're pretty good at numbers. They keep their numbers. But on this, they, don't, they never seem to be sure. And it's between 400, 400 and 500 bombers. But they sort of started the evening by sending off Camp Group for 100, which was following what they call the ex system, which is basically a single beam. They're following a single beam which was at the time directed over Coventry. Then you get two intercepting beams that are sent from different places that intercept the single beam. If you're following that beam, when you sort of start to leave it, of course it starts to break up. So you get in it again. So you always follow the beam. So when you reach the first cross beam, it actually starts off. It's telling you you're nearing the target. Then the second beam is crossed, and that is supposed to, they said at the time, that it's supposed to have started these crewed onboard computers to start the actual bombing raid on these pathfinders and then these sort of crew computers and so on. And that actually started the bomb run. So they followed this system, this basically over country. And the first ones over country, the, the, the pathfinders, there was about 13 of them, but they were actually carrying about 10,000 incendiaries and about 200 bombs. And also, of course, loads of flares as well. Like great bloody, like chandeliers, basically, dropping into the sky. People always remember these flares dropping like chandeliers. So the pathfinders are coming over the city just after seven o'clock. They start coming over the city. And uh, with that funny droning that German planes make, they have this sort of broken sound that they make. It's uh, in and out, like that. And then, of course, the flares are dropped. And they're all, like I say, described like chandeliers in the sky. People say they're not huge chandeliers in the sky, basically. And amongst the, f- the flares are incendiaries start falling at the odd bombs. And this group is coming over for the first hour, basically, and starting to set the target. They're actually, they're laying the target. Start off your fires, basically. So when all the other ones are going to come over, which is soon after, which is literally 20, within 20 minutes of the last Pathfinder coming over. The other groups of bombers came over. You had Dorniers and all sorts of stuff, Junkers. They all followed in, in waves. Literally about every 15 to 20 minutes, there'd be about 20 planes crossing in different directions. They were crisscrossing over the city, sort of lacing it with bombs and incendiaries. And of course, that was the first time they used the uh, exploding incendiary as well during that raid which, of course, caught a lot of people out because people have been shown how to deal with normal incendiary bombs, which don't blow up in your face. People were told just to put a sandbag. Go with a sandbag and drop it on the incendiary. And afterwards, they realised that these things can flare up in your face. So they told you to go with the sandbag in front of your face and drop it on the bomb. But to be quite honest, you'd have a job doing that anyway because they were quite, they would send up phosphorus in the air all over the place. So you've had these sort of uh, first group comes over. They lay the target. Within probably three quarters of an hour, you've got over 300 incidents. The fire station is being sort of overwhelmed with calls and that. There's over 300 incidents going on. 
then uh, within the hour you've literally got it's one incident half the you know the city is on fire everywhere effectively the firemen get out and they get into the streets they end up having to call in firemen from all over the areas districts but the problem was the city has been blown to pieces and burning that is leading more bombers because then the bombers that came over afterwards they could literally cross the channel and you could see this is what they said you could see the light crossing the channel and all you had to do was follow that light and head to it they could see their target effectively but like i say the farmer were getting out into the streets bombs going everywhere they're setting up hoses all over the place it's dante's inferno effectively the vicar of holy trinity church described it as dante's inferno every time they managed to set up something another bomb hits the water supply goes or their pipes get blown to pieces and of course they get killed as well there's a lot of firemen killed as well but um it's like when the cathedral started the cathedral basically you, you had the fire watch there they were there at seven o'clock including the vicar and that the stonemason jock forms what was happening was effectively these incendiaries would drop always swishing down whoosh, they swish as they fall and they drop and they just punch a hole straight through the lead the roof so michael's had like uh, the outer roof then you had an 18 inch gap between the inner roof so what they would do they would punch through the lead of the roof fall inside and roll down inside. So if you were trying to find an incendiary in the roof, you, you're looking for a hole with smoke coming out of it, effectively, and that incendiary is rolled down to the end, so it's not exactly where the hole is either. So they're busy ripping up the roof on one side, trying to control it. They've only got sand and what water they've actually stored up there. Some incendiaries have taken hold of the Girdler's Chapel, and, of course, they tried to deal with that as well afterwards, and it, it just got out of hand, and they couldn't deal with it there was too many coming over and the, the smoke was starting to pour up the staircase to the roof which was obviously showing that their exit was cut off so they had to sort of climb off down a set of ladders to get off the roof and uh, within a short time fire crew arrived and they said that the lead off the roof it was pouring off the roof like a river the lead basically they'd playing the hoses on it for a very short time and of course the water dies again no water so it had to be left to his fate, effectively. They couldn't do anything. They went in to save what they could. And that was the end of it. The whole building just went up in flames. They, they said there were 60, 70 foot high flames, bronze flames, roaring up into the sky. And at a certain time, it sounded like there was an earthquake. Because what had happened back in the 1880s, when they'd restored the roof, they put these massive um, iron bands across the church to brace it effectively and when the building was burning the roof was burning it was twisting these bands and it literally pulled the whole thing in with the actual main pillars so it just fell in and it's the people within the area said it sounded like it was an earthquake as the actual church collapsed in on itself yeah Okay, Tristan, you've got 50 seconds. Go. Right, so Dan's given me a few seconds to sell the Ancients podcast. What is the Ancients, I hear you say? Well, it's like Dan's show, except just ancient history. We've got the groundbreaking new archaeological discoveries. This seems to be the oldest known dated depiction of the animal world, as far as we can tell, anywhere in the world. We've got the big names. It's one of those great things, Pompeii. It's kind of forever rising from the dead and from destruction. We've got the big 
topics. The man destroys seven legions in a day. No one in history has done that. Subscribe to The Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, and Russell Crowe, if you're listening, we would love to have you on The Ancients. Spread the word, people. Spread the word. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What about normal civilians? Were there bomb shelters in Coventry? So there was a programme in, in 1938 of uh, building bomb shelters around the city. Initially, probably about 40, 40, 50 bomb shelters, you know, small capacities up to about five, 600 capacity shelters. And they built them around the city. Some of the original shelters were a bit like trenches, really. And of course, later on, they realised that these weren't strong enough and lined them in concrete. People were literally moving from one shelter to another because, you know, the raid was going on and it was 11 hours constant bombing, effectively. And and sometimes it was getting dangerous. The, the bomb shelter on Greyfriars Green, that was about 300 capacity. They had a time when they'd got an unexploded bomb outside the entrance and they and it was flooded, starting to flood. And the boiler in there was in danger of exploding as well. It's quite unbelievable, really. And all the time outside, all they can hear and feel are these bombs coming down and the ground shaking and everything. It's been absolutely terrifying, really. Well, they, they got through it. Well, some did, of course. What about the RAF? Was there any way of breaking up these raids? The night fighters were out. Only a couple of them actually said they saw anything. One German said he had a night fighter on his tail over country, and he had to almost go vertical to avoid it. But, of course, the problem was with night fighters up to that point, they hadn't fixed the radar properly. The radar on the night fighter is being shot out from the front of the plane, effectively, but it couldn't um, zero in on anything because it didn't have a triangle, which was later added. And the actual night fighters, are effectively up until November the 19th, were propaganda because it was something 
to tell people that we were doing something. We got planes up there trying, but as the night fighter guys themselves said, when you're up there, you couldn't see these things. There could be a couple of hundred planes there, but you can't see them. And the first hit of a night fighter was on November the 19th over Birmingham. And the pilot said, my God, there is something up there. <laughs> yeah. What happened effectively with them was they talk about getting to certain times of the night, of course, when they actually seem to run out of ammo. And some of them were, they literally run out of ammo. But other ones, they said, I always remember a chap told me that his dad uh, picked up a couple of guys from one of these uh, anti-aircraft sites on the night. And he asked him about how can we've stopped firing? And he says he couldn't effectively pick up the shells. He says none of us had the strength to ram another shell into the gun effectively because, you know, they're just at it, bang, 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 like this. And they were just too tired to lift the shells up. But other sort of uh, crews just ran out of shells. But uh, you had other silly things around the city. Memorial Park, there was a rocket launcher, which were absolutely useless things. They looked good. They look yeah, quite impressive, you know, because a lot of sparks and stuff were absolutely useless for taking planes out of the air. What was left in Coventry, what had been destroyed, and what were the casualties? The last bombs were dropped at about 6.20 in the morning. There was a bunch of uh, about four or five 200-pounders came down, and that was the sort of end of it, long say, just non-stop all night. And the people sort of came out, and the, the city centre was just devastated, effectively, all the main centre of the city. There was a chap called Smith who was, who was a town clerk who'd also written a history of the city, and he was a fire watcher. And he said that morning he left the council house amid all this devastation because it was quite, it wasn't clear. It was, it was all smoke and there was dust in the air, floating in the air, gas, plaster dust, everything. It was like a mist and it was, it was drizzling as well by that time. And he said, amongst all this devastation, I always remember this one. He says, I heard a starling singing which gave me hope for the future. And you think, that's quite a lovely little sort of thing. Something that my dad went out the next day and wandered around the rooms. He ended up pulling an incendiary bomb from between two walls <laughs> and took it home with him. <laughs> In fact, my dad was blown up by a landmine that night. He was just going home and he actually popped into the Radford pub to have a half. He wasn't really a drinker, but he just had an half of Mackison or something. And he popped in there when the raid started. And they all went in the cellar and he never used to really bother going into the shelters. So uh, after a while, he went back out and he and he stood outside the, the pub watching all the bombers going over and the bombs going off and that. And then he suddenly saw over the church opposite, he suddenly saw this parachute coming down. And he thought Jerry had bowed out and he was just said he just seen about going after it. And he realized there was a big canister attached to it. And of course, it was a landmine, wasn't it? parachute one it came down above the church and just blew and of course those things just blow and they blow down and outwards they flatten things dad was blown off his feet blown unconscious the church was blown down to its first course of stones effectively when dad came to he actually went over to the church and pulling the rocks away because he knew there was people underneath so he spent the actual night during all the bombing helping well, dragging people out from underneath the church. There was about two dead, I think. But he dragged them and they stopped a car. And between him and this other chap, they ferried them backwards and forwards to uh, this relief station during all the bombing, dodging around all the holes in the road and everything, basically. Yeah, so we had a busy night. 
<laughs> How is the bombing remembered today by the people of Coventry? It's always remembered because, it, to be quite honest, it's part of the cities. It's not just part of its history, it's part of what the city is now. Coventry is what it is now because of what happened that night. The city looks like what it is now because of what happened that night. Do you know what I mean? It changed the city. It was like it was almost as if it was the death of old Coventry and the beginning of, of a new version of Coventry. Did your dad ever forget that night? Dad was in 41 Commando. He saw a lot of uh, action. He was on so Salerno, he was on Sword Beach, and he was he even got um, machine gunned by a Stuka bomber one time. He never really talked much about it, to be honest. I just, it's one of those things you sort of always think about. Though I did talk to him about it, I didn't talk enough about it. We should always talk more to our parents to find out these sort of details because they just go they disappear with them. Dad never even claimed his medals in the end because he says, well, I was only doing what had to be done effectively. So I don't see the point in medals. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What is your book called? Oh, that one is Coventry's Blitz, that one is. I did one, Coventry at War, and there's Coventry Blitz as well, Coventry's Blitz. Anything you want about Coventry, people, go to David McGrory. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this very special week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.